Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with Julia Mowat. Julia is a trans woman. She's also been writing for the National Post. Um, she has a website where she discusses issues um, around trans, I guess, overreach one way or the other. And she recently had an article in the National Post about what she considers is overreach from the Conservative Party in their new proposed policies um, after the convention. Hey, Julia, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So, okay. Um, I mean, I I was following you on Twitter on my old account, then I got banished. Um, now I'm following you. I heard about YouTube. that. Yeah. Um, oh, whatever. I don't want to get into that. It was, it was just silly. Um, but anyways, so, like, I've seen how you've been, you know, like, how you've been talking about this issue. But if you want to give people like a brief introduction to who you are, how you got started, why you thought you had to speak out against some of the stuff that's going on right now and and all your concerns, then we can get into your article and your concerns and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Julia. I am transgender um, and I am also a parent. I have a daughter, an adopted daughter, who is in her grade 12 year right now. And for me, that has been formative to landing where I am now. I certainly believe in transgender rights. I certainly believe in the importance of individual expression. And I, I understand gender dysphoria because this is how I've always felt. And so I, I do have a passion and I have empathy for so many individuals who struggle in our, in our society, which is very gendered and has you know, still a rigidity that I don't think we always fully acknowledge. And... But that being said, after a few years of my transition, and once my daughter was moving into a large kind of big city high school, I started to see the identity side of what's going on as well. When I was a kid 20 plus years ago, these matters were never discussed. I felt gender dysphoric and there were no supports. This was never once mentioned in my school. This was never once mentioned in the healthcare system. And I don't think that that was a good thing because when I eventually found blogs and stuff that helped me understand how I felt, I associated that with a lot of shame because I didn't think this was something I could talk about. I certainly didn't think that this was something I could approach an adult about. And so I sat with that for a long time and it, and it caused a lot of you know negative mental health situations for my teenage and early adult years. But what I observed with my daughter is we've kind of recognized that problem and we have swung the other way to the point that LGBT identities are celebrated and glamorized to an extent that it's almost a given that some kids are going to adopt this because they're looking for a place to fit in you know they're looking for a way to be unique special they're looking for a community and this is a powerful community that is exposed to them in the education system my daughter last week made an observation to me which is she can get free counseling if she was lgbt at school but she can't get free counseling because she's not lgbt and it's like when, when you start to create a situation like this to me, it's a no-brainer that you're going to have some people who fall into this space for reasons other than gender dysphoria. And I'm, I'm divided on my feelings towards that. In one sense, I think that people should explore. <laughs> I think that it's not the job of the state, certainly not the job of me to broker what somebody can do, how somebody can identify. But at the same time, having been through a social, a hormonal, and a surgical transition myself, I understand the weight of what's involved, the medical risk, the financial implications, the stigmatization, a lot of reasons that 
I'm so thankful that I live in a country where this is available for people with severe dysphoria, for people who this has been the only way that they can find to cope and to thrive. But observing now in the schools is a culture of people falling into this and making decisions that they may regret. I know people who have had hormonal or surgical transitions that they regret. And that, and that terrifies me for them because I don't want to see people go down a path like that that's irreversible and regret where they're at. And it also terrifies me because what I've noticed over the last few years is that provides a lot of fodder for people who do have true anti-transgender sentiments to point to and say, this is why we need to ban all, you know, all transgender space in our societies. So it was kind of those two competing pulls that I've seen in our political system that, that kind of brought me into the space. I am transgender. I have fairly centrist, slightly conservative leaning political views. And that's put me in a unique space to be able to really have conversations with individuals on both of these sides to say, how do we find a middle ground in a place that champions parental rights, that champions individual autonomy for both sides, rather than just looking at the transgender rights side of it, or just looking at some of the more traditional conservative sides of the of the equation. All right. Well, cool. Thanks. Okay. Just a couple of things on that. And I guess well, I would like to get to your article just because, again, here, I think, I agree with pretty much everything you've just said and it, and it just be like kind of nitpicking to point stuff out, but he like, the, the, okay. The way I'm, I'm seeing this. And again, you know, I didn't really get into, I mean, I, I was on the periphery of it and I saw what was going on in some schools, but I wasn't paying as much attention as I was paying to the race stuff. Cause that was really something that was, you know, I mean, the whole reason I got into any kind of culture war stuff was because I was called a white supremacist for criticizing Islam. And I'm, like, I'm brown. And I'm just like, okay, where does that come from? And so I just kind of looked into that. And then, like I said, the gender stuff was and um, was on the periphery of it. But then I started looking at, to it recently. And it just, for me, like, you know, something you mentioned. Like, so when I read that there was a 4,000% increase in young girls transitioning, I'm like, okay, even if you say that before they weren't accepted so not as many were coming out but i'm like a four thousand percent increase is a lot and even with that i have to put the caveat that you have to look at the numbers a four thousand percent increase you know is when you started off with something that was less than a percent a four thousand percent increase isn't you know it's not it's not like 25 percent of the population or anything like that but still that's a huge jump to have so like you know so this up like some what you mentioned so that concerns me Yes, there might be, you know, like, I shouldn't say there might be because I'm sure there were always children with dysphoria, but I don't think it started pre-puberty. I think some of that would probably start after puberty. That's just, that's a guess on my part. Like, I have no basis for making that guess, but I'm just assuming that, you know, until you, until your body starts changing and until, you know, you're getting all your, like the hormones you're supposed to be getting and you're going into like the way, you know, you're basically born biologically, then I think that's when it would maybe more kick in than before. I don't know though. Like I could be wrong about that. Um, but my concern too now is our systems are so corrupted that if a kid who was like, if you don't know if a child's doing it because they want to be cool or because they're genuinely just euphoric, the way our system is set up, like I'm concerned about how the the therapists and the psychologists, like, and especially like in Canada where you can only have affirming only care. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. You're going seeing a, a quote unquote specialist, but 
how are they looking at this, right? So that, that so for me, it's like, yeah, I want people to get the treatment they they need. I want people to feel good. I want people to you know, uh, be healthy and be able to live their lives to the fullest. But if we also have to recognize that our system is broken and we need a better way to judge this. And so, like I said, I, I agree with most of what you're saying, but those are my concerns. And that's like, if you're an adult, you know, I, I don't want to stop you from, you know, aside from if you're going to harm someone else, like, you know, like I don't want to stop you, but, you know, do what, do what you want. When it comes to children, and I, you know, I'm not a parent, and obviously these aren't my children, but at the same point, it's like, okay, as a society, we have to protect those that are innocent. And, you know, that's where, that's where my concerns come in from. Like, that, that's my biggest focus on this. When we get into the adults, you know, we can talk about uh, spaces for women as opposed to, you know, like, you know, like prisons. And I think sport is a, it's a big one. Um, but then a washroom and a bar, like, how do you want to go there? Like, you know, like we can figure that out, but. Like, so, but yeah, it, it, I'm more focused on the children because I think that's something we have to really look at. So, um, if you want to say anything about that, go ahead. Or if you want to talk about your article and like, you know, why you thought you wanted to write it and where you like, you know, give your stance on that. And then, like I said, I'll give you my opinion on those things and we can take the discussion from there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as far as the children go, I, I agree with you. I think one of the areas where I disagree with the approach that's being taken in Canada right now is fixating on transgender matters from the identity side of it. That That's the narrative we have. That's how the laws are structured is to say everyone is entitled to their own identity and that can't be challenged. That shouldn't be something that is, is questioned. And, and therapists are scared, therefore, to explore it because they might be labeled as trying to convert or trying to dissuade someone from exploring this identity. I I think that's a profoundly unhelpful way to look at the transgender experience because whether we want to admit it or not, something is something is wrong with me, with Julia. You know, I am biologically male and that caused me deep distress. There's a lot of people debating why that causes me deep distress, the extent to which that is physiological, the extent to which that is genetic, the extent to which that is purely, you know, psychosocial. And we could debate that forever. I have no idea the answer. But what we do know is that I experienced that from a very young age. It never went away. And because of that, transition has been the best way for me to cope, has been the best way for me to thrive, and has been the best way for me to continue to exist and exist in a positive way for myself within society. But all of that being said, I do not believe that transition is a better path than not transitioning when the other option is available. There's still something wrong with me that makes me feel this way. If there's a kid who could transition or they could not transition and they could be happy either way, I would strongly say they should not transition. This is not something that they should do just because, you know, my, my partner has chronic illness. And because of that, there's a lot of things that she can't do. She has to get a ton of sleep and she, much of her day is focused on the things she needs to do to physically take care of herself. And, and she'll point out the same thing in the, in the disability space in terms of something's wrong with her. And that doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve dignity. And we're so thankful that our society will accommodate that and allow her to thrive anyways. But to ignore that something is wrong, that something in her body is not functioning the way it's supposed to function doesn't help. And I think that's where I disagree with much of where the trans narrative has gone 
And a lot of these policies are structured around that assumption that this is just identity, that if you want to paint your bedroom green, you should be able to paint your bedroom green. And if you want to go on estrogen, you should be able to go on estrogen. And I, I just, I don't think those are equivalent. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, another contentious thing that's, you know, part of this dialogue is the drag queen story. Yeah. I always spoke about this a couple of years ago with uh, Buck Angel, and we were talking about it. But, and I, mm -hmm. it just still, to some extent, I agree with this, but, you know, I'm starting to shift more the other direction. I was I, What I said was, if a guy wants to dress in drag and go read to kids, I have no real issue with that. If what, what that guy is doing is reading to kids, okay, it's a man dressed as a woman. He's wearing a costume. They're little children. You can talk about it like that. You know, he's an adult and he wants to dress like, you know, sometimes on Halloween you dress up as a, you know, a princess or a knight or whatever. Like you could just, you know, you can use that analogy and you can talk about it. You can explain it in that way. And I thought that would be an innocent and a good way to introduce it to young children. And, and like, I wouldn't really have an issue with that. But now when you have the twerking and, you know, slipping money in the garter belts and then you have little kids getting up on stage, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I can't really defend you anymore. You know, it's like you said, you know, it's you've just gone way too far. So in the same sense that, you know, you were talking about the policy that's coming from the conservative convention, Michelle uh, Rempel Garner, I guess now, uh, she was like, oh no, uh, she was out in defense of drag story hour and saying, if you speak out against it, you're hateful, blah, 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 blah. And this is a conservative politician. And I'm like, okay, you know, there is a ground you can take. That's not that everyone who speaks out against this is hateful and that this is a great, wonderful thing because I'm sorry, the, what we've been seeing in the last couple of years is you know, going a little too far. And I'm, I don't think it should be in front of children. You know, it, and it's so, it's like, I, I like what you're talking about the debate, that debate's gone into um, the best way I heard this explained was James Lindsay a few years back. He was talking about you know, the centrifuge. Okay. So you said you were, you know, an engineering background. So centrifuge and chemistry, right? you spin it and it spins the things to either, you know, it separates them by taking either side. And that's what's been happening with the discourse. It's like, start with the right, they go a little bit further to the right, the left goes a little bit further to the left, and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning, and these things are going further and further apart. So it's the two sides of this conversation have just, okay, there is a ground we can talk on, right? There is a ground, and she's going contrary to policy that was set up by her party, which, I mean, I, I think you should have the right to do that. I think politicians should, don't, don't be lockstep with your party, but at the same point, like, you know, don't speak out of two sides of your mouth either. But, you know, like, so, like, but I, I'm just concerned about things like that. There's, you know, that is a, a thing where it's either, okay, ban it all or, no, let all of it go. Where I'm like, okay, you could talk about a guy in a dress reading to kids. And you could, you know, which I think shouldn't be a huge deal. But when you go into, like, you know, the, 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 the simulated births and the twerking and the, you know, the mock strip tees and the fake boobs that are, you know, like not covered up. I mean, it's just, it's just like, okay, where's the adult? Where are the adults? Yeah. The, the discourse around this, like a lot of things, it's just gotten way too divisive and, you know, confrontational.
Absolutely. Now, the, the drag queen story hour debate topic, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is one of the one of the pieces I spoke up about first. I do a video series called A Lot of Thoughts, where I do these five minute sort of quick take segments exploring mm-hmm. a matter. Um, and I did Drag Queen Story Hour quite early in that series. Uh, I've actually done it three times because it keeps coming up. First, I was doing it from the point of view of what it is and where I think it's unhelpful. Um, the, the narrative that often comes up is that this helps to expose children to queer identities. And you know, I think unabashedly queer role models is the, the wording, the verbiage that was used by the creators of Drag Queen Storytime. And of course, we could debate whether or not young children should be exposed to that at all. But, but I've argued this from the point of view of even if you do think that exposing children to diverse identities is essential and it's something you should be doing, like what you described, I'm not convinced that Drag Queen Story Hour does that. I think it does something very different because these people are performative. I find it pretty offensive because a small child seeing that is going to see a drag queen, they're going to see someone who's a man, who identifies as a man, who presents things in this very over-the-top manner, and then they're going to see me and they're going to think that that is representative. And I'm like, this is not what gender dysphoria is. This is not what transition is. This is this is a show. This is a farce. And so I have concerns about it from that side to begin with. Um, and then uh, I think it was in July, we had a situation at Toronto District School Board where the pushback was now pushing for mandatory <laughs> drag queen story time. Um, there was uh, some event in the school in June and parents were upset and so the school allowed them to opt out and the LGBT advocacy groups came in and were pushing that that shouldn't be allowed because children need this exposure and and at that point we're now combining the argument of being allowed to do this with the argument that everyone should have to experience this and that's just a whole nother level of of concern for me because <laughs> I certainly would be opting my kids out if I was in that school and well I may not go so far as to say it should be banned nobody can do this because I don't like it to not be allowed to opt out myself is a whole nother it's a whole other ballpark yeah. for me. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's I mean, like I, I don't want to focus on the, the drag queen stuff, but it's just like I said, it it was just one of those things that you can point out how badly this this has gone. And um, okay, uh, so I had uh, Mia Ashton on, and we were talking about this, and you know, I said, okay, where is your middle ground on this or where would you be comfortable with wine so um i used uh, blair white as an example i said okay so if you're in a washroom in a bar you know it's an adult setting it's not kids and you know blair white walked in now like or even someone like yourself like you've you know you're not self-iding you're not jenna yanov uh you know like <laughs> um and so you've taken steps and you've, you know, and I, and I don't think like from everything I've read and like the people I've talked to, I don't think you're going to go in there and just proudly announce and be like, uh, you know, like, like okay, most people want to go into the washroom, do their business and get the hell out. Like, you know, like <laughs> it's, but you know, the, the, the performative part of it, that's where it's so I, and you know, what she said to me was that, when she first started speaking about this, she was at that place where, okay, someone like Blair, fine, I don't mind. The reaction she's gotten and the way she, you know, the uh, like how extreme the other side's gotten, it's like I said, it's, and nothing against me. I think she's, you know, I, I, I respect her at like a writing, I, you know, I, I don't really have an issue with her. Um, but she's just like, okay, well, they've gone that far. I'm going to go a little further this way. 
right? You know, so it's instead of, okay, maybe I can take a step in and try to bridge that gap. But I mean, obviously you don't want to go too many steps in because, you know, then you're going too far. But I mean, like, there's, there's got to be some sort of give. And so it's like, I'm happy to talk about those kind of things. Like there's got to be spaces where women have to be, you know, like biological women. Right? I don't think, Biological males should be allowed into women's prisons. Like that. That's one thing. Like, like that's that, that's a hill I'll die on. And I think also in sport, if you want to talk about fairness and you know how it's done, like I don't think Leah Thomas should be swimming, you know, in, in the women's category. Right? I don't. Like I, and I'll even go so far as someone like Leah Thomas or Jessica Ann, if I think they're doing it not because they're dysphoric, I think they're doing it to game the system. Because the way it's set up, it's easy to be gained. And, you know, I like I think they're men. Like that, like, I'm, you know, it just, there comes a point where I think you have to be honest about it. And that's where, that's where I stand with those two. Like, I'm not, you know, like in every person I'm going to take on an individual basis because, you know, that's what you should do. But like someone like them, like that, like that's where I stand on that. So, but like I said, we have to have, like, have those kind of conversations. Like, sides are too far apart but we need to start bringing them a little bit closer together absolutely no i am um, i'm so happy that you got to talk to mia uh, i saw that episode i haven't listened to it yet but now uh, she's a she's a friend i'll be seeing her next week um i i agree with what you said and how you kind of characterize that and you described the the moving further out one side is going to this extreme i'm going to reciprocate that on my side and, and that is i think what we're seeing right now, both ends of this contention, look to the other side and say, well, look at how extreme those people over there are. And they're not wrong. <laughs> they are as extreme as they're saying. So therefore I'm justified in doing this, but, but we also know that this is not how we find workability, right? This is the opposite of that as we each move to those extremes. I try to take a, a pragmatic approach. Um, I, with the work that I do and with the articles that I write, I get I'm, I'm privileged to be able to speak to a lot of leadership in our various provincial governments and in our federal government. So I get to have a lot of these conversations with politicians and somebody somebody very high up in the, in the CPC, so in the Conservative Party, when I was talking to them, they said, but what does this all mean from a policy perspective? And it was a kind of a wake up moment for me. Um, and this was, this was a few weeks ago. And I'm chatting about some of the stuff that I'm seeing on both sides, the extremism, the moderation, the, the way that I see the lay of the land. And this individual kind of kept steering me back to say, but what does this mean from a policy perspective? Because in the end of the day, that's all that matters. When it comes to sex-based spaces, like the washroom stuff you mentioned there, you can't actually regulate Blair White out of a woman's washroom because Blair White is one of the most passable trans women that exists. And, and just to define that for anybody who doesn't know what I mean, I mean that her appearance is very convincingly feminine her voice is very convincingly feminine you're not going to know unless you have access to government records to verify or you're seeing her naked and so if she walks into that washroom and you don't specifically know blair white to know who that is then you're never going to have any idea that this is a biological man and so from a policy point of view you can't actually do anything to stop that individual from entering because when we say something should be sex-based what we're really saying is it should be the appearance of sex-based it should only be for people who the average person feels like is a biological female now that's not true for all of them 
obviously something like a prison. We know who you are when you're in prison. So that that's a different that's a different question. Mm-hmm. But that for me taps into what you were describing of the nuance. I I did take a position against the conservative resolutions, um, but I took that position because of the lack of nuance in what came out there. I also agree with you when you say that there are spaces and there are places where we are not balanced and we need to find balance in the name of safety or in the name of fairness. However, a resolution that comes down and says all spaces should be, or all of these spaces along with et cetera, because the resolutions had, you know, et cetera at the end of them should be sex-based without defining how we determine what a sex-based space is, what the criterion is to justify it. That, that's concerning to me because it, it doesn't really have any bound. So I, I can appreciate what they're going for. And there's parts of it that I would support, but when it's done with such a, such a broad stroke, I certainly do take pause. Yeah. And I mean, okay. So getting back, like, like I said, my thing, the kids. So I was speaking to someone yesterday. Um, it was about the, the, the million March for kids. And, you know, one of the things I said was, like, first of all, I, I don't think little children should be brought up to be confused. You know, there was a case in Ottawa where a little girl said she was all the way female and her teacher said, that's ridiculous, there's no such thing, no one's like that, and started berating her in front of the class. Or, w- with that, so my concern with this is, this is where I think, like, we definitely need some policy and we need a lot better guidance from the government and we need a lot you know when they're saying hide everything from the parents okay oh and they're making parents guilty and they have to prove their innocence like instead of okay you're innocent until proven guilty and i don't you know i don't want to be callous and i don't want to be you know oh unfeeling or whatever no i don't want some kid beaten up or killed by the parents before something's done like i don't want that but you can't just automatically assume that all parents are going to start doing that to their children like that's it's not a good way for a school system to be working. You know, you should work with the parents, not like be in confrontation. So, but you know, you could have a happy medium where if a kid comes up to a counselor and says, "Look, I, I'm having these feelings. I think I'm, you know, I might be trans or I might be gay or whatever," right? and goes to the counselor. But if I say this at home, you know, my parents are going to do something, and you could have, let's say, a 72-hour window, or if you want to do more like a week-long window or something where the child is assessed and you, you know you speak to counselors you speak to, and i know you can't do a proper assessment but at least they can talk to them you know go to child protective services or whatever and have the kid looked at and then you can go talk to the parents like you know you don't have to take the kid out of the home you can have interviews at school blah blah, blah. you can you, you can do that and the kid can go home and just be quiet for those few days or that week or so. But to have it indefinite and to have, you know, like it was just with the with the school union thing, like with this march going on, some of the school boards put out a thing where if the kids wanted to speak to the press, they had to get parental uh, uh, parental approval. But I'm like, but you're going to put them on you know, hormone therapy and puberty blockers and give a girl a chest binder without parental notification? Like, you know, they're... The two things don't sit. So that's, you know, again, with that, I think there is a way you can find a, a medium because, look, I come from a Muslim background. I know how you know, the feelings of Islam towards, like, gays and lesbians. Um, and depending if you're in Iran or Pakistan, I mean, the transgender thing also, they, they're, like, you know, transgender people are not generally accepted. 
Pakistan and Iran, it's like they either change your sex or kill you. It's a different story. Um, but so I, I don't want kids again. I don't want kids to be in danger. But at the same time, I, I I don't see how you can keep parents out of this question. It's you know the pushback to parents trying to find out what's going on with their kids. I mean, to me, that's crazy. One of the frustrating things found in the in the conversations that are going on is that there is so much happening at once. And if you are very invested in this conversation and you're reading everything, then then you understand how the pieces all fit together. But for many people, they're looking at this for the cursory view. They read the occasional news article, but but they don't necessarily see how many pieces are at play. Um, the childhood social transition piece, I know you touched on there in terms of most school boards in Ontario or in Canada not including parents if a child wants to transition in school. So a kid comes and says, as you described, I feel I feel trans, I feel like a girl, I want to go by Julia and she, her. The school will do that and the school will actively not tell the parents unless the kid wants to tell the parents. They will start using that name, all the classmates will know, the other teachers will know, but the teachers in the office will also know that they shouldn't use this name when the parents are around because those parents don't know. That That is important to me as a parent and as someone who's gone through a social transition and understands both the powerful positive effect it can have on someone who's dysphoric, but also the way that it interplays with the relationships of the people you haven't told, the other psychosocial underpinnings that can exist that, you know, aren't being kind of reviewed and sussed out in the process, like that's terrifying to me. And I, I take a very strong stance against that. I think that it is critical that parents are at minimum informed you know there's the debate between should parents know about this or should parents have jurisdiction over saying yes or no that's complex i don't know precisely where i stand on that in, in some of the nuances but definitely they should know the, the idea that this should happen behind their back and they shouldn't know about it for me there is no debate at the same time there's also the conversations of what you mentioned there which is the medical transition i have yet to hear of a case of a medical intervention for a child in canada that wasn't with the parents knowledge there absolutely have been cases of medical intervention without the parents' consent. Um, and the, the medical piece of it is where is, is where, really where the article that I wrote most recently for National Post steers the conversation. I want to avoid the medicalization of transgender matters for children, full stop. That, that is my position. That is what I would like to have. However, I am really concerned about the conversation that's being had because there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in the why people want to do this behind it. They, they look at childhood transition and they say there's tons of concerns, there's health concerns, there's concerns of regret. And those are all true. Those are all true. I stand by that. And those are wonderful reasons not to move forward. There's my, my daughter has talked about getting a tattoo on several occasions or a septum piercing. And I've said no to all of these things because those are body modifications that she might regret. And there's nothing stopping her from doing that when she's 20 or when she's 21. And she might regret it then, but she's an adult. However, there's no reason in my mind to do that when she's younger. She might fit in with a certain crowd who, who's into that sort of thing. But there's just no reason to move forward with something like that, that that she might regret. These interventions are much more, are much you know, larger than a tattoo or a piercing. So in that sense, I do... I have great, great concern with how we're handling medical transition. The piece of the puzzle, though, that I'm really discouraged is not being talked about is why is someone drawn to this? What is the argument to put a 10-year-old on Lebron 
and then put them on to estradiol by the time that they are 13. And that is all about passability. That is all about the fact that a child has not yet gone through puberty. And if you put them on blockers and if you put them on cross sex hormones, they'll be a Blair White. You know, they're, they're going to grow up for the most part to pass to convince everybody on a cursory glance that they are the, the sex that they identify as. And they know that that will make their life much, much easier to live as that sex. If instead we say, no, you should wait till you're 18 or some professionals say 25 until, you know, your prefrontal cortex is fully developed. And at that point you can transition, especially for the biological males like myself, you are almost guaranteed not to pass in society. Your voice will have lowered and that is not going to change on estrogen. Your, you know, your jawline here is going to have kind of got its sharp look. You, the, the grow here, the, the height, all of these things are not going to change. Estrogen will grow breasts. Estrogen will soften your, um, your tone. Estrogen will lead to hair loss around your body, but it's not going to change all of these major markers that define sex for us. And the, the part that I think needs to be acknowledged is there is a huge implication on that. We often talk as though we live in a genderless or, or a, a we live in a society that has gotten rid of the imperatives of gender. And when people point at this, they usually point towards biological women. They point towards where we were 100 years ago with women's suffrage, where we have come, the rights that have been gained, the equality that has been attained. Um, and what I think is often ignored is where we still have to go with that, how deeply gendered so many aspects of our society remains. You mentioned earlier here when we were chatting about you know, kids and dysphoria coming out of puberty. I disagree with that because I certainly was dysphoric before puberty. However, it's not about the genitals. I did not like my penis. I sat there with scissors when I was eight years old in the washroom and thought maybe I should cut this off. I, I wanted to get rid of it, but it was because of what I knew it meant. It was because I wasn't allowed to play with the girls. I had cooties because I was a boy. I was isolated at school all of these social structures that reinforced I didn't belong, I knew was all because I had a penis. And so that's why I wanted to get rid of the penis. It wasn't actually because the body part itself, you know, the physiology of it caused me stress and anxiety directly. So my, my belief is that if we can do a better job of not having everything so gendered, that is a wonderful way to handle dysphoria and justify why we don't need to take medical intervention at any sort of a young age. Okay, um, you know, like about the, like I said, I, when I said that about the dysphoria, that was just, you know, meeting, I guess, there. And I, I can understand what you're saying. Like, yes, little boys and little girls don't play together. It's just, you know, they, they kind of like boys have cooties and girls are gross or I, I, who knows, you know, like it's just, you do have that. I get it. And I understand what you're saying with that. But when you're saying the understanding the why, again, I go back to like how corrupted our institutions are answering that why question now is becoming harder and harder so when a kid goes in and says you know let's just take an extreme like okay i've got suicidation oh well that's because you're not being your gender is not being affirmed so you're you're not looking to why the kid's being suicidal you know it's it's and again this is just outsider looking in reading stuff seeing what's going on or talking to a few people and that to me that's what it, how it seems like oh You've got suicidal thoughts. It must be because you're not being affirmed in your gender. Let's start transitioning you, and that'll fix a suicide. So uh, I keep using this a lot lately because it, I think it's very relevant. Um, 
Hitchens used to talk about this. It was from Andrew Mall Seasons. And there's the the, the the English, I don't know, the Church of England's like chief inquisitor or whatever. And he's talking to Thomas More. And Thomas More said, you know, like, oh, so you'd cut down the law to get a hold of the devil. And he's like, yeah, I'd cut down every single law and I'd have to. It's like, you know, then what are you going to do when the devil turns around and faces you? You've got nowhere left to hide. I'm like, this is, that's what, you know, quote unquote, the woke left has done. Our institutions are so denuded of any of their faculties that when you have an overcorrection coming from the other side, you don't have any defense left. So, you know, you, you ask, like, the why? Yes, the why is very important. Why do you think you're the opposite sex? Why do you think, you know, this? But when the side that's pro this has gotten rid of that question on their own, and it says just must be this, like you now lost the ability to ask and answer that question. And I, that's why there's where a lot of my trepidation in this comes from. It's like, do we even, I, I, okay, I know there's, there's people like in Canada, there's Robert Cantor, I believe, and then there's Sasha Ayad uh, in the States. And James I know, Cantor and Sasha James Ayad, Cantor. yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there are, and I, know, I know there there are others, but there, you know, we don't have an abundance of therapists who are actually looking at this, you know, reasonably and saying, okay, yeah, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Let's discuss it. Let's find out instead of no, you don't. That's impossible. Or yes, you do. Let's start affirming you, and you know, we'll, we'll get you on the road to to medical transition. Whatever. Like you know, like again, there is no middle ground there. And I, I but I, the reason since I got back from overseas that I've come and focused on the left and like, you've got to control a lot of these institutions and you're tearing them apart. And now we're at a point where we actually need these and we don't have it. So I'm really concerned about the why question. Do we have the capacity left to answer that why question? I approach this from the policy side of things in terms of, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, I agree that the way we're doing therapy, the way we're doing medical childhood medical transition that that needs to stop. That is a problem. And I've always felt like I occupy this weird middle space because I am transgender and I have spent and continue to spend considerable time deeply within progressive circles. And at the same time, I have these concerns. And for the last 18 months, I have spent most of my time within gender critical or social conservative circles. And the way everything is framed, the way they talk about everything is entirely different. Um, a video came out yesterday that showed uh, the uh, Ontario Federation of Labor meeting about the protests coming up this week. And I watched through that and I, I've talked to a number of people about what they saw. And you know, people are shocked to hear the language and the way that it's spoken. But to me, this was normal because I'm in these two different circles. And it's like, yeah, that, that is how the, the far progressive left speak. And when you're over talking with the, the conservative right, they speak entirely differently. And I feel like I have to, you know, go back and forth and code switch and speak differently depending on who I'm talking to. Not not to convince them that I agree with them, but just to even have them understand me. Be like, you know, if I'm talking to this side, I have to say gender identity. If I say gender ideology, wow, you I just sent a bunch of signals to them. But if I'm talking to this side, I've got to say gender ideology. Because if I say gender identity, I sent a bunch of different signals to them. And it's, you know, learning how how differently people are conceiving of of this space. And so from the policy side of it, I, I look at these resolutions and I say, how is that going to be received by the general Canadian who hears that? You know, the, not the people who are at the convention, not the delegates, not the MPs, but how is the general Canadian going to hear that? Because we know what the talking point is going to be from the progressive left. It's this is anti-transgender. These people truly want to eradicate you. 
I get this every day. People say, Julia, they want to eradicate you. And like you said, you know, once once you've helped them get rid of childhood social transition and some of these things, they're going to come right for you and they're going to, you know, eradicate your existence. And so that's the point that's going to come at them. And so the question for me is how how is it defended? How does one show that this is not anti-transgender? That the values you communicated in this in this conversation that really is the underpinning. People want adults to be able to express the way they want. People want everyone to thrive, but they're genuinely only worried about the concerns that come from childhood medical transition. And for me, that's why that second piece of the conversation needs to be present, because to ignore the why people so desperately cling on to this and to just say, we should ban this because it's risky and kind of, you know, ignore the rest of the conversation. It sends a strong signal. Well, if you look at the other resolution, the sex based based one, same thing. There was an interview that um, was done with uh, Linda Blade at the convention there, and I watched it online. And, you know, the uh, the interviewer asked her whether or not this was anti-transgender, because clearly that's how it's going to be framed by certain people. And the response is, no, this is not anti-transgender. This is pro, this is pro-woman. And the reality that we all kind of know is that something can be two things at once. <laughs> something could be pro-woman and anti-transgender. And that's how the other side is going to see it as anti-transgender. This side sees it pro-woman. Okay, so how how do we get to a place where we can actually move real policy forward? I believe that is to confront both of those, to say, well, maybe it has pieces of both. How do we reconcile that? How do we move forward in a way that we can get a majority to align with it and actually actually solve the root problems we want to solve? In short, if we really want to avoid the risks of childhood medical transition, which I do, okay, well, then how are we going to create a situation where there is less need for it? Because if you just abolish it, if you ignore the desperation I felt as a kid that made me so desperately want that, and just say, no, you can't have it. How, how do we expect that to be a long-term and infinite solution, right? It might be a finite solution as long as that policy stands, but the pushback will come. It will flip back again, you know, and, and I, I don't see that as solving the root issue. Yeah, no, okay, like with the childhood thing, like I, so Bill C4, it's, you know, affirmation only. Or, you know, if the conservatives say we're going to get rid of all affirmation therapy, that needs to be looked at because there are going to be, some kids who okay we won't medically transition you but if you want to dress as a girl and act as a girl if you want to dress as a boy act as a boy you know, it's fine we'll help you along and then as you get older if this continues and you, know, you feel those needs then then they can look at if you want to advance with medication whatever but like you're know, starting like but if the conservatives say we're going to get rid of all affirmation ther- therapy and the liberals say no it's affirmation only those both two sides are wrong, as far as I'm concerned. It's just, oh, it, it, okay, it's like the debate around schools. The conversation should not be whether we have, uh, whether the Peel District banned books or whether DeSantis is banning books, okay, because yeah, I, I'm a free speech advocate, you know, like I, it's, it's the only thing I'm an absolutist about, but even at that point, for the same reason I don't say what's going on in Florida and other states is banning, it's more of the curation. And the Peel District School Board did the same thing. They're curating it, whereas this is coming from the parents, that's coming from the top down. You can look at the arguments of why they're trying to curate those books. But the bigger problem is, what was the, the thing that just came out about Ontario, 60% of kids can't do math at grade level. You know, uh, kids aren't reading properly. I don't really care what, you know, it doesn't really matter what books are in the library if the kids can't read. You know, that's the bigger question. So the affirmation only or no affirmation at all. Well, 
you are going to miss kids who do have some serious problems. And it's going to go on. Now, I think there is a way to deal with this. And maybe I'm being naive and maybe, you know, I totally out of my depth, but I think there is a way where you can speak to kids who do have dysphoria or do have these feelings without having to get them on a course of lifelong you know, medical treatments. And, you know, you can let them kind of develop normally and, you know, quote unquote normally, but, you know, like the way, or if you want to say biologically, I don't you know, like, it's just, we, words have lost meaning, so it's hard to express things. Sometimes. I, I agree with you. I The statement you said there, that you think there's a way that we can, you know, kind of work with these kids in a not affirmative only model and create workability for them without medical transition. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And this is why I look at those two conservative resolutions together, not in isolation. If just yeah. medical, the medical childhood medical transition resolution would move forward into policy. Okay. I would actually support that. But when that one moves forward in conjunction with the sex-based spaces one, that's where I say, okay, take a step back a moment. One, one thing I said in my article for National Post was look at something like washrooms or look at something like sports. We we act in this conversation as the washrooms are a place to, you know, to pee and sports are about competition. And those are not untrue statements. However, Washrooms are about way more than peeing. Anybody who spends time in a school knows that washrooms are a clubhouse where you hide out from people during a game of tag. Washrooms are a refuge where you go to get away from your teacher during class so that you can talk. And now washrooms are a place where you vape and you socialize and you, and you do all of those things. Sports, same thing. Sports are competition, but your you know, high school team sport is also a friend circle. It's a community. It's camaraderie. It is all of these other things as well. I'm okay with saying it's not fair that a biological man can win a competition like swimming, like you mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. that, 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 that's not fair. I agree it's not fair. We should, do, we should do something about that. However, that doesn't equate with a gender dysphoric child like myself saying, I, I look at it this way. I saw four counselors before I was in grade seven because I didn't, my life didn't work and everybody knew it. And I come from an evangelical Christian household. This was the nineties. So all of them were Christian counselors. Nobody once ever mentioned anything about maybe I was gay, maybe I was you know, trans, no one touched it. It was all just, how are we going to find Jason friends? And what was the solution? We'll buy Jason a basketball net because maybe then Jason can learn to play basketball and then Jason will you know, get along with the boys at school. And the, the, the given solution was Jason has to learn how to fit in to the male social circles. So we're gonna do the things we're going to go out and play catch. We're going to try to get Jason to watch hockey with his dad. All the things to try to get me to fit into that space. Because I grew up in a small rural farming community in Ontario. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything else. It was get along with the boys or don't have friends because the girls were in brownies. The girls were in their own spaces that I couldn't access. And, and so that's kind of my criticism here is if we have a non-affirmation only model of therapy, what is that counselor actually going to say to the truly gender dysphoric child? Not, not the children who fall into this, which I know is most of them who are following identity and following their friends. That, that's a whole different situation. We absolutely should be working with those kids and helping them to not have to fall into an identity such as this. But for the truly gender dysphoric ones, for the Jasons, for the little me, what are we going to say to them when, when Jason says, but 
the people who I was friends with, the people who I understand, I am falling away from because they spend all of their time in grade seven volleyball together. And I am not allowed to be there because I have a penis. My penis has to go. They're going to say, well, your penis doesn't have to go. And you don't need those friends. You can, you can find other friends. You know what I mean? As long as we enforce those spaces, if we enforce the spaces based on the biology, that, that creates the problem. If we don't enforce the spaces based on the biology, then okay. Does that make sense? Kind of how, how they interplay in a certain respect? If it comes down to competitions, right? Like that, that's where I'm like, okay, Leah Thomas again. As a man, it's like 200th or 400th in swimming and then wins the, wins the women's, there's an issue there. And then and it's not just Leah Thomas. There's like, you know, one after another, after another, okay, breaking women's records and vote. Okay. Where did you stand as a man? That I have an issue with. Now what you're talking about, like in school, if it's in gym class or if it's, uh, you know, intramural leagues, again, I, I really want to talk about that because I don't know if, like, I don't want to say yes or no in like intramural leagues or, you know, like, like peewee leagues or anything like that, because even at young ages, again, from things I've been reading, boys will have a slight advantage athletically. It doesn't mean that every boy will be better than every girl and, you know, every girl will be not as good as every boy. I, you know, obviously there's, there's outliers everywhere, but so, but I think you can make spaces where, okay, everyone's allowed to come play volleyball and you can play with your friends or like an extra, extra thing. Like I'm not, I'm again, trying to find a happy medium because I, I do think in certain things, like let's say there's a girl who's, fair to middling in a sport but she's got potential and she could you know really do well and then there's you know one or two boys who's who feels dysphoric and they're allowed to play on that but because of their biology they're playing better than that girl and it you know disenfranchises like that is that girl she loses interest in that because i'm not as good i'm never going to be as good it's you know the whole thing there's a detriment there too. So I think like when you look at that, you have to really look at, is this, is this for competition? Is this for fun? Like okay, little kid sports should always be for fun. Let's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, like sound like one of those parents. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, like, you know, if you do have competitive teams, as opposed to if you have a school fun thing, like an intramural, like, you know, lunchtime ball hockey league or volleyball league or whatever, like, you know, just, it's more or less for fun inside the school and they might find yeah. good players. So I think, again, you have to have that conversation of how you want to go about doing this. Like, you know, fairness should come into play in some aspect of it as well. Uh, and that's, I think you and I are on the same page with this one in terms of kindergarten soccer league. That is for fun. That is about fun. Yeah. That is not about competition. If you're a parent who's deeply concerned and enraged <laughs> that your kindergarten child was like disadvantaged, that's, that's a problem. So that's about fun. Leah Thomas rally game. That is about competition. That's not about being friends with your, your competitors. Having that, that is about <laughs> being a world class competitive circle. I agree. At the fun end of the spectrum, why do we make sex matter whatsoever? At the deeply competitive end, it matters immensely. I don't know where the division is. I don't know where the cutover point is in between there. I believe it. I believe it needs to be defined though. That. To say that a kindergarten boy can't play on a girl's soccer team for any reason is a little bit excessive. <laughs> to let Riley Gaines compete against Leah Thomas in international swimming competitions, that's ridiculous. I, I think we need to get this conversation back into the middle. And okay, no one's really helping here. So when 
New Brunswick said, okay, we're not going to allow schools to, you know, do this behind the parents' backs. And right away, Trudeau was like, oh, well, the parental rights movement is a far-right movement. I'm like, do you really think it's a good strategy politically? Like, even like you're talking about, okay, we want to look at this from a policy point of view or whatever. Does he honestly think that picking a fight with parents is a right political strategy to be going forward with? I mean, it's just, you know. It's a horrible strategy. This is something I'm I'm writing about currently at a, in a front up coming article is that branding everything that touches on anything to do with transgender, you know, matters and where maybe there's some overreach as anti-transgender does not help the liberal cause. It hurts the liberal cause immensely because 80% of parents say, I want to know if my kid is socially transitioning. I back that. And if you start to create a narrative where 80% of Canadians are you know, lambasted as anti-transgender, then you're normalizing anti-transgenderism in that respect. And I, I guess that's the default position of most of us. And that that does not help what they're trying to achieve. Okay, something you said there, and I don't want to keep you too, too much longer because I you know you're probably busy, So, but I, maybe you could finish on this. It's, so when I first got back from overseas, the first two things I thought of, um, one was a quote from Milton from Paradise Lost, and it was, Bash the devil students felt how awful goodness is. Um, I mean, like, it goes on all over, but it's just like, okay, I was looking at what was going on in the name of fighting racism or, you know, fighting hate or whatever. Like, you guys are making goodness awful. And the other thing was from Shakespeare, and it's, it's his long soliloquy that Richard III does. And he talks about how he's going to be so evil. And he's like, and I'll, you know, and I'll set the, the, the murderous Machiavelli to school. I'm like, okay. And it's, I'm like, you guys are going to get over Christians. You're going so far to like one side, like you're making goodness awful that these other people are sitting here going, okay, yeah, wait until I get into power and I'll show you, you know, what authoritarianism is. I'll show you, you know, what, what like fascism, whatever, like, you know, I'll show you like how, how, you know, strident I can be. And it's, you know, so. When you've got Trudeau saying that, and you've got all these people saying, okay, if it's either I got to support trans rights or I got to protect my children. So most parents are going to protect their children. And, you know, there is going to be that backlash. Like, I, you know, take the race stuff uh, in a predominant. So Canada's what, 70% white? I don't know. I, I, I can't remember the, the figures right now. But, you know, when you have conferences like brown complicity and white supremacy, about how brown people are complicit in white supremacy. And this is being put on by the editor of the Toronto Star, uh, one of the heads of the largest school boards in Ontario. And, and like, I can't remember who the other two people were. Um, when you've got things like Asians are white adjacent or Jews have white privilege. So when you live in a country that's 70% white, don't you think you should like coalesce all the different minorities together instead of trying to divide them even more? Like it, you know, if I was in the states and I was David Duke, I'd be like, I'd be cheering them on. Like, go ahead, yeah, split each other up. Like, you know, it's, it's divide and conquer. And so it's there's they're breaking apart everything that protects us. And at the same point, you're making these, you know, giving people these two choices, where it's almost like they want a race war. It's almost like you know they want they want violence against trans people to happen so they can say look see we told you we were right like it's it's it, it's almost like they want that and it's I, I from from when i first came back the, f the biggest thing i was worried about was overcorrections, and i was worried about will we have the institutions left to protect us and 
now it seems like we don't, and now it seems like we are getting overcorrected. I agree with your characterization of the of the far left. Um, I'm in a I'm in a special spot because I am transgender, which means the the far right will not embrace me, and I speak critically of the trans rights activists, which means the far left will not embrace me. So I, I get to see kind of the extreme, and very clearly on both of these ends, and I, I think you've you've done an accurate job there of characterizing the one side of it. Um, I always try to remember though that there is an extreme an equivalent extreme on the other side mm. as well right there is that extreme who really does want to eradicate transgender people and this is what this is why these sides can't talk right because when when trudeau speaks he's speaking about people who exist but he's making it sound like it's everybody who has gender critical concerns when really it's the the two percent on the far 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 end of it and then when the gender critical speak about the progressive left they speak towards the two percent extreme on that side most Canadians, I believe, from my experience in talking to tens of thousands of people in all of these circles, is most people you know, want the Canada that we still have, that is slipping from us, but that we still have and have had for a long time, which is a place of acceptance, a place of tolerance, a place of embrace. Most Canadians do not want trans eradication. Most Canadians do not want the state to interfere with their ability to raise their child and to control the ideologies they're exposed to. And for me, talking to people on both of these sides, I feel like that middle ground does exist. And my fear is the overcorrection, just like you described. Uh, as people ever pit in one direction or the other, I don't want to see the overcorrection for the current, um, we've had a progressive left government for eight years in Canada. And that certainly has swung policy-wise in a direction that I'm not comfortable with. And many people who have gender critical concerns are not comfortable with. I want to see correction. I don't want to see a swing back to the point that it goes just as unbalanced in the towards you know bona fide anti transgender sentiments. And I use that term carefully because I know that the the far left will call anything that speaks critically of anything about transgender matters anti trans. I mean true anti trans stuff that really is designed to actually you know kind of eradicate or prevent people from living a transgender lifestyle. I want to see that middle. I want to see something that reflects you know kind of our core Canadian values. And I believe that's possible because as I talk to people in these movements, there is extremism, but it's not most people. I talk to parents every single day who are going to be attending the march this coming Wednesday, and they're not extremists. They're normal people who love transgender people like me and are concerned about what their kids are being taught. And to me, that gives me hope that there is a middle a middle place that we can eventually land upon. Yeah. Okay. I mean, about the right stuff, I've always started speaking out about the left and it is not like I ever never paid attention to the right. Like before I went away overseas, I would say, look, you know, look at these nuts, look at these nut bars, you know, like the far right. And, but I mean, I left Canada in 2002. I came back in 2014 and it was such a difference. And I mean, it was, for me, it was like culture shock. Like I can I describe myself like the frog throwing the pot of boiling water, freaking out. Whereas the other frog, are just kind of, Oh, this feels great. You know, it, it's like, okay, don't you see how nuts we've got? And, so my my thing was okay, I always considered myself like center left, you know, like I I was gay marriage, abortion, but you know, not until the moment of the kids crowning. <laughs> you know, like uh, things like that. Like I you could probably find me on on the on the same side as you know, like left leaning positions. But I was never 
you know, I wasn't like full on socialist or even like I, I, I could see cutting some social programs and stuff like not getting rid of them, but cutting some of their funding, whatever. But then I come back and I'm like, okay, I want to fix my side. My side's broken. I see problems on my side. Like I do see problems on the other side, but again, this is being pointed out where when the far, like, so when you have a Charlottesville or when you have like people in white hoods, everyone knows when you've gone too far, but you don't seem to have that buffer on the left where it's now people are starting to like when I was, when it started getting touching children, people were like, okay, no, you're touching children. That's a problem. Okay. Like you know, the racism stuff, you know, Professor at Cambridge, who said, I want to abolish whiteness and I want to, you know, I can't remember her exact wording, but she was talking about violence against white people. She got her, she got tenure at Cambridge after she said that, you know, um, the leader of BLM in Toronto, were her exact phrasing, I wake up every morning praying to Allah that I don't kill some old white man. You know, like, and I can point out more and more stuff like this there. I mean, videos of people, like, just, I mean, they're just, they're, putting, they're posting themselves. Like, it's not someone else taking the video and posting it. Like, they're videoing themselves and they're posting it about how it's their right to, like, kill white people or whatever, looking what's going on in South Africa, like the song Kill the Boar, right? There's always defense for stuff like that. And there's never been curtailed. So I'm like, so my thought was, especially when I first got back, I'll try to fix, you know, quote unquote, my side. And hopefully there's people on the center right that are going to turn around and rein in their crazies. Like we always had a defense against crazy. But again, I keep going back to it. Like that defense has been overrun and it's become ideological. So we no longer have that. So, okay, the anti-Semitism thing. So when true, when a bunch of Palestinian pro-Palestinian protesters and some of them were Palestinian, some of them were other Arabs, start chasing Jews down the streets of Montreal and Toronto, and Trudeau's first reaction is, oh, "Please be careful and don't be too Islamophobic." There's a problem. Okay, that gives a signal to the far right nuts that it's open season on Jews because they're no longer a protected class. You know, like I'm not saying that before that they wouldn't have been they would have been concerned about attacking a, a Jewish person or something like that. But now they'll feel more, you know, they'll feel more confident and they'll be, feel more empowered to say, you know, whatever you control the media or you know, just, just going like, you know, just going crazy and going nutty on the anti-Semitic stuff. So it, 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 that's why I kind of focus on the left. It's a, trust me, I can point out all kinds of things on the right, the, the nutty stuff. But to a, to a point, there's like okay, we're opposed to that. There, there, there's a there's a like kind of like a hard line, and, and unfortunately, when I talk about the overcorrections, I think that hard line is being crumbled, and that's what scares. So look, um, I know I said I don't want to keep you too long, so I'll give you the last word here if you want to respond to that, uh, and also please let people know where they can get a hold of you, and I'll put the links in the description. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think everything you said there was was well said. Um, I personally try to focus more on what I stand for than what I don't stand for. And I'm not saying that in opposition to what you've described, but that has been my approach has been to say, what, what does this middle ground look like? What does policy look like that protects the dignity and the rights of transgender individuals and recognizes that they have a, you know, that they fit within a larger society that has a whole range of views and a whole range of other interests and 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 that's 
the conversations I'm trying to have. That's where I'm trying to look towards. And in the particular piece from uh, from this past week, I write for a conservative newspaper. So kind of how you described, you know, you, you're trying to work on the, the left. My audience, for better or for worse, is is that right audience. And for me, I view that as a privilege. That's an area that I can reach. There's very, very few trans voices in that space. So much of what I am preparing is is targeted towards that audience. Not everything, um, because I really am trying to trying to work towards that moderate position as well. But yeah, no, this is this has been fun though. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on for this chat. Um, you've asked where I can be found. So on pretty much every social platform, I am Alada Malada, um, which is a pun that I thought was hilarious the, the day that I came up with that. Um, and yeah, I make a video series called A Lot of Thoughts with Julia Malad, where I discuss these matters through five minute video segments. And I write a weekly piece for the National Post. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy this conversation. Like I said, I think we're in agreement a lot more than we disagree on. Um, and I just I think we need to start having more of these. So thank you very much again for coming on. It was great. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back.